Welcome to Tales from the Ditch. Please visit our website at talesfromtheditch.download or go to any of your podcast links if you want. And please remember, don't vote. I've got this podcast where I'm going to list off what I comment on people's Instagram stories. All right. Pashaw. I'm going to comment, this is a young Troy Hubert. I'm going to put pretentious. Um, <laughs> speaking of Troy Hubert, Nathan. Speaking of Troy Na- Hubert. Oh, yeah. Tell a story. And then I got a question for Nathan. I do. The- this is a legitimate one, too. And it's not going to ruin everything. Go ahead. Nathan, go. That microphone buying Troy Hubert. So <laughs> I, I had a, uh, a little bit of reputation at 10th Street. 20 roommates. Nothing bad will come from it. Not a frat house. Because hmm. that's, that's lame. I'm going to read DC Comics and Marvel Comics while you talk about this. Go ahead. So. We're engaged. I had a little bit of reputation for uh, bottle rockets. Authentic. Go ahead. Everything. A reputation for bottle rockets. Yes. And uh, firecrackers thrown through people's shower windows while they were (laughs) in said showers. Excellent. Sometimes from the bottom up to the third story. (laughs) That's a good aim. It was pretty good. It happened about half a dozen times. And everyone would be like, I'm so mad. What happened? Nathan and a firecracker. Oh. So I was trying to launch a ball rocket at uh, another roommate who I cannot remember at the time might have been Michael Murphy might have been Seth Cabral uh, Seth Cabral Steve Cabral <laughs> Seth Cabral would be the <laughs> ugliest baby <laughs> looks like a racist Jesus uh, <laughs> you guys are making the volume spike it was a sorry, funny joke spiked. sorry it's because so, so. that's the only time I could say that so <laughs> Troy, Troy, ah! Troy was sitting in a lazy boy on the back patio Reclining wait, with his on, feet wait, up. Wait, wait, wait. We had a like lazy, a leather, like a leather lazy boy, sitting there. And he, alone? he would. I was trying to was shoot alone, huh? a ball rocket at Steve. I think it was Steve. And uh, in, with Troy in the middle of us sitting down, he's like, "This is a bad idea. You're going to shoot me." I'm like, "No, I'm not. It's going to go right over the top of you and hit Steve. It'll be fine." It definitely landed square <laughs> in Troy's junk. <laughs> Direct rocket to his crotch and blew up in his lap. Now, what's the Greek word for crotch? Is it crochetos? <laughs> I'm sorry, Troy. If you do not have children one day, you can blame it on me. Crochetos? Or you can thank him. Ball rockets. <laughs> Edgy. I also launched a ball rocket at a friend who was standing on the third story roof and deciding to uh, answer the call of nature off the side of the roof. And he saw a flick of light in the glass and started yelling, oh, no, is that Nathan? Does he have a ball rocket? <laughs> and That's I did, in fact, one. have a ball rocket. And I almost hit him and knocked him off the roof. <laughs> Wait, did he fall off the roof? It was kind of a close call. It could have ended badly. I think Nathan just said he murdered someone. <laughs> you have no proof. <laughs> Ryan Smith affirms everything we just said. So you had a question for me. (laughs) (laughs) What we need to think about is the question behind the question, Nathan. Are you asking even the right question? Let me echo what I just echoed. There's a documentary about Rob Bell coming out pretty soon. What's it called? Coward? 
<laughs> Probably using words that aren't words like zimzum. <laughs> zimzum! Zip it up, zip it out! Zip it out! <laughs> oh, yeah, sounds zip like, it up, Zah! Sounds zip like Bill Cosby now. from Family Guy. We just spiked up the volume like ten times. And right now, my mom just discovered what the air dad is, and she's going, what, what is he zipping up? I'm so disappointed. <laughs> zipping out? Is that a euphemism for drugs? All right, so I'm going to say this. Nathan. Yes, sir. What is the hardest thing about being a pastor that maybe people don't know? Oh! Do you used to have another kidney stone? <laughs> Dude, they hurt so bad. I've been stabbed before. These are like triple that. I seriously was praying, asking why would God allow us to exist? I always just think of uh, Saturday Night Live with Chris Farley and Adam Sandler. And Adam Sandler's flipping through the, uh, Chris Farley's fl- flipping through the TV guide. Holy cannoli. <laughs> Give me cancer now, God. So anyways. And I mean it. Like, people may not know this. You say, what's the hardest thing about being a pastor? And I'm not going to ask Sean because he (laughs) hates the brotherhood. (laughs) No. I actually want to ask Sean something else. I do have a question for him because someone's got to guide this ship crushing into the kraken of destruction and distraction. What's the hardest thing? People may not even know. And maybe they do know. But what's one of the hardest things? I don't mean like. Oh, we're just complaining about millennials. I mean, like, you look and go, no, this is something that's hard about being a pastor, and I'm going to bring it up because Troy Hubert and Ryan Smith don't care. I would say, similar to, there's something about the human condition that wants to put people on a pedestal and wants somebody to be something that they know they cannot be. So we look at politicians, we look at celebrities, we look at pastors and say, I want them to be my hero, and they cannot be, so when they're not, they crucify them. Yeah. And somewhere, some people might overplay that on the pastoral side, and get all victim-y, and nothing good comes from that, and it's lazy and irresponsible. Like, there's a calling there, there is a responsibility there. Um, I take it very seriously, I lead people's kids. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. But the only hero that can actually satisfy people and not fail them is Jesus. I'm not Jesus. There's so I can without shirking responsibility, understanding how you lead people, because people need a leader. Without leadership people perish. Just happens. Mm-hmm. Um but how you lead people with authenticity, knowing that you probably are going to disappoint them, and how you are okay with that at the end of the day, at the right times in the right ways, and still honoring that responsibility. Are you ever exhausted at the end of a Sunday? Yup. <laughs> no, expand. What do you mean? Um, I think there's the physiological level of it being the emotional roller coaster and the adrenaline dumps that happen, things like that. And everybody knows that dumps are exhausting. Dumb Sarg's off. <laughs> uh, I hang out with teenagers. <laughs> yes. The did you know? Um, this is some a little Sean, bit of pseudoscience. Did you know that uh, <laughs> that's your baby? <laughs> uh, I just want to go on record here and say, "Mary, did you know?" is the worst Christmas song that has ever existed, and I'm so sorry for whoever wrote it, but. 
It's not that it's bad writing. Oh, I have a story. Bad music. Okay, I just want to say, in order to counter, so your body dumps adrenaline into your bloodstream to do whatever the effects of adrenaline are that's necessary for your current situation. The body then dumps cortisol and a bunch of other things in order to like regulate or bring down the level of adrenaline in your body. That feeling is the worst. It makes me sick usually. Like a like having that adrenaline go down. Do you know that's similar to a fight? I'm not even kidding. No, I'm yeah. Think of that. Ryan Kwan I saw on Facebook said, I'm about to preach five services. I went, Ugh, five, dude. I've preached three at the most. Ryan yeah. Kwan, you're the man. Being in fights or preaching sermons, like after those things, I feel sick to my stomach. Yeah, it's I, crazy. And I think one of the hard, hardest parts about it is how to process well, especially when you're stepping from a adrenaline high into a real life situation where you probably can't process it like you want. Yeah. So, you know, practical things where it's like, okay, things went great. You want to celebrate well and great. You went home and it's like, oh, got to take the dog to a vet because he got in a bush and has a foxtail. Like, oh, emergency vet trip. Kid got sick pipe burst and it's like the real life celebration side of me i'm an extrovert so i've been around people all day and i come home and i'm like a freaking butterfly and i drive my wife insane (laughs) where she's like sit down for 10 minutes and calm down you're vibrating (laughs) i cannot speak to you when you are this jacked up on juice from talking to people all day that crash then like an hour later it's like i don't want to talk to anyone leave me alone I need to go back in two hours and do this again. Are you an extrovert? <laughs> Very much so. I'm Dutch. <laughs> so you don't like people. But you like boats. No, and we birds. think we're funny and we make shoes out of wood because we don't want you to be comfortable. <laughs> Take that, Europe. <laughs> Wooden shoes. Great idea. Did you know? <laughs> this is a fact I learned from your mom, Seth. <laughs> Please do tell. Excuse me. I get to say you don't. No. (laughs) From your mom. You know what? Your feet smell. Take that. She sat me down at the table and she said, said, hey, listen, I'm not Dutch, but my husband is. And here's what I know about the Dutch people. Their wooden shoes were called sabots. S-A-B-O-T. Did this conversation really happen? No, this really happened. Was this after I crashed my, aka drove my car on Your mom was telling me all about the Dutch people. Your dad's the one that's My mom hates the Dutch. She she told me about it. She said their wooden shoes are called sabots. A lot of people don't like the Dutch. The word sabotage comes from Dutch people taking their shoes and throwing them into the gears of a clock tower because they wanted to stop the clock. We don't have clock sabos. tires because Dutch people don't care about time. They're all... Sh- this They're is all what your mom told me. don't have time for this kind of witchcraft. <laughs> this is what yeah, your mom told duh. me. Dutch people are outside time. They're like the Beyonders in Marvel. <laughs> Knowing the Beastie Boys song called Sabotage, <laughs> that makes sense. Dutch people... I love With their we, sabots. We just talked about wooden shoes, Dutch people, clock towers, and the Beastie Boys. Oh, and the Beyonders in the span of 45 <laughs> yes. seconds. I'm so confused right now. <laughs> I don't know what is up anymore and what is down. This is good entertainment, folks. Look, I gotta tell you something. <laughs> Why do you look nervous, Sean? <laughs> Alright, look, and, and this is like proven in Wikipedia. Sean's a liar. <laughs> 
That's a that's a real conversation I had with you. <laughs> really? What year was that? Uh, 1999. Yeah, well, you didn't vote. <laughs> I didn't either because I was 10. Actually, I did vote. <laughs> you had a... Oh, did you? Wait, let's... First in all time. So Nathan said, I haven't slept in three days. Let me ask you this. So as a leader, have you ever looked over the sheep? Like, all right, one of the first martyrs was a deacon. Is it Stefan or Stephen? Stephen. 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 All right. Why do you spell it that way? All right. Have you ever looked over them and been like, if they could see how much we hurt or care about the people, they'd see a difference? Because you have people say, they go, well, people don't care. Well, the leaders don't care. And I'm like, uh, I've seen pastors and deacons weep when someone leaves the church. They're like, Well, they didn't care. I'm like, well, maybe you're just a communist who loves Stalin. You ever thought of that? <laughs> And I, I think in my checkmate set in my context, working with teenagers for so long, my the first group of students that were in middle school and I started, they're all graduating college now, so that makes me feel old. But uh, there's a, the great difficulty that comes with knowing, like, okay, at this point, there are literally hundreds of names and faces and stories and memories that come to mind. Thank you. Is that your one of students that I have had interactions with in some of them to great extent, students I've gotten to baptize, some students I've gotten to lead to Christ over months sitting in my office week after week, um, walking with students through some of the darkest times of their lives, and really having the honor of being put in that position with families to say, hey, we want, can you be present in this dark time in our family? And knowing that it's normal, 100% normal, for 90% of those kids to leave the faith for a while. And that statistically, that's going to happen as much as we work and try and pray and hope and toil to where it doesn't. Is that it's America normal. or every country, though? I Are we a, that bad? Because I sometimes look at kids and I go, shut up, millennial, come in here. I choke them and then they're dead and I have to hide the body again. And I've worked the next well, day. And- I, I think it's it, the context varies. Uh, I read a study just a couple weeks ago that the the population of atheists with generation z which are kids that are in high school like jake has doubled to compared to millennials you're supposed to come in and tell me good stuff so, well Nathan. why it gets like, messy is people hear that and they go oh no kids these days they're they're in terrible shape everything's going to hell in a handbasket and they freak out they talk about these other people like these Generation Z. They're a different creature entirely. They're God with their haters. cell phones with and their the Pokemons. It, it's them cell phones and them social media and that Snapchat. It's all Snapchat. They're not pole vaulting. They're not pole vaulting. So they, they they completely crucify a whole group of people for it. They talk about they're the, the sole problem with the culture. But at the same time, I see there's a huge difference in perspective compared with like Gen Xers. Where they were an atheist and they were hostile to the faith. Most of my experience. If somebody wasn't a believer, there's hostility there. Compared with, I talk with kids from Generation Z, they're an atheist and they're like, I've never really thought about it. Yeah. That makes sense. It's never occurred to me before. So it, it, there's a fresh perspective. There's Their fists aren't up. They're not looking for a fight. They don't have beef. If there's no God, why is there bacon? Checkmate! <laughs> You have changed everything. Sarah. As a leader, I as a leader, like I'm often 
my charge is to cast vision about things that I'm still struggling with myself. Does that make sense? Like, not, Absolutely. not like, well, probably not close handed issues of faith. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty sure that I believe that Jesus is the son of God and that I believe that, uh, like the only route to salvation is through the atoning work of Christ. But like things like the importance of the safety team and the importance of comfort for people who are in a sanctuary listening to a sermon or like other ministries I've led, like the importance of slides being in a visually pleasing format that doesn't distract people. Like things like that, like I'm kind of on the fringe of actually believing, but I have to communicate to everybody who I'm leading how important it is when I myself maybe do or don't uh, actually ascribe to that belief. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think I can totally understand because you guys come from a, a, a faith tradition and a church background that's more liturgical than even I do. I work at a mega church <laughs> and all that comes with that. And there are. Leading... What would be the difference? Can you explain the difference to people who so, maybe don't go to church? <clears throat> liturgical meaning more, more rhythms of what church looks like on a Sunday, incorporating historical elements, readings, um, responses, longer service time generally with more moving parts and more anchoring in history. That's so weird. And yet some say we're not liturgical enough. Well, you're not going to be enough for everybody. People are always going to find I wonder who that would be that say we didn't, we're not enough. Yep. So, on my side, it's a lot more big, flashy, over-the-top production, um, stuff like that. More fog machines. Fog machines. Lots Yours fog is machines. an A. I want to clarify something real quick, though. I, 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 get, I know where you're going, Nathan, but I just want to say this. Nathan is one of the guys who told me about Jesus and before I even became a Christian, I respected him so much because he had character. He While had you were trying to fight me. While I was trying to fight, I, I can respect people I'm trying to stab. And here's the thing, though. I've seen good small churches. I've seen good big churches. I've seen bad small churches, uh, bad big churches. I just want to say this right up. To, if you don't know Nathan Hartley, he loves God and he's a guy who I respect his integrity. And here's the thing. I don't know everything. But I knew when Nathan was witnessing to me, I was like, he actually cares about this. So I just want to put that out there. So when you say mega churches, not all of them are Austin. Yeah, we'll pick a fake. Yeah, Joe definitely. Austin. And there are big churches that care. There are small churches that care. There are big churches that don't care and small churches that don't care. I have seen Nathan care about people who I literally looked and said, they don't have superpowers. Why does this matter? And yeah, let me just say, like the the leaders and pastors of the mega church, what you're calling a mega church, Nathan, are some of the most intelligent and caring individuals, including yourself. Like, yeah, not to be confused with a mega church that has like child sexual abuse scandals and tries to cover it up, or uh, proclaims some kind of weird. 
prosperity theology or has private planes or anything like well, that. Well, pick like a fake example like Steve Furtick. Like, okay, so there's no one named Steve Furtick. Like, Nathan isn't like him. Nathan genuinely Correct. loves people, and I've seen him where I mean this. When I became a Christian, even in jail, I was like, that guy's legit. If there's someone who legitimately acts like Jesus, it's Nathan. It's funny because I remember talking with you the night, literally the day after you were in jail, (sighs) after I had been inviting you to church for like seven years. Only three times. And you were like, okay, I'm finally done. I'll go with you this Friday. And then you got in one of the worst fights I've ever seen in my life with a man who was nine feet tall. And I I remember literally mopping up blood and glass off a venue floor caused partially by you and you getting pulled over by the same cop that arrested you the night before and like you're like i give i'll be there friday i want to point out that (laughs) nathan while nathan is talking he's talking about sean i was at catechism with a bow tie Okay. I think ultimately people people don't aren't okay with accepting that not every church is for everybody. And mm. all the time I tell people, okay, if you don't feel like a mega church with the production with the boiled down to something as small and simple as a fog machine, whatever. Whatever people complain about and say, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. Say, okay, well, maybe this isn't the church for you. You Maybe you need to have a bigger view of the the large C local church, and that's fine. That we should be okay with that, not chasing after people, not letting people leave for stupid, petty, consumeristic reasons, because people that don't like the production can be just as much of a consumer as people that do. Sure. Like they're like, yeah. your church doesn't care about pole vault. Yeah, as soon as, like, pe- as, as soon as people put in a position of value and we assassinate people's character because they don't care about what we do, well, that's pretty selfish. And that looks like either side of the spectrum. That's a human thing. That's Absolutely. Not, that's not a, a thing about big church, small church. That's a human Thank thing. Thank you. And, and as a big church, finally, let's say, white Calvinists are speaking out of. I us. think mega church, maybe if you were to choose mega church being a distinction of attenders as opposed to associating it with televangelists, it's a fair thing to say. But let's just say big church. I think you can be a very big church and still very aptly speak the gospel and explain the truth of the scriptures to people in a mega church, as opposed to what we're familiar with being termed a mega church. Absolutely. Has people who aren't speaking the gospel, who are speaking kind of an Oprah esque type of like life wisdom or, um, philosophy Mm. but not actually the gospel absolutely and i mean that's a big difference you are on staff at a part of a church who faithfully preaches the gospel every week and like i would i would go to that church if i wasn't already a part of my church like that that's a big difference and i think maybe when you say mega church people absolutely associate it with something else it's easy to react to the characters that we see and say they're doing it wrong. Every church that's like them is doing it wrong and they're selling their soul for the sake of numbers, for money, right. for influence, whatever. 
But all the time we have people that come and go, oh, like I heard you guys just preach like prosperity gospel. You just preached about sin and asked people to repent. I didn't know you did that here. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot thing. of inerrancy to what you've been saying, Nathan. It's fair and inerrant what you've been saying. <laughs> Infallibility. Infallible to what you've been and saying. I, I think ultimately we love to villainize somebody that we disagree with. I don't care what that is. Like we don't just treat up. Yeah. We're not okay saying I disagree with this person. We say, no, they're an idiot. Not only are they an idiot, they're a villain. They were like a villain all along, and they're just waiting to get found out. Can I, like, ask, can I ask you and Sean, who has multiple PhDs, something? Okay, so look, this is the thing I ask people all the time, and I ask it over and over because it's a huge thing. And I know people are like, Seth's going to bring up X-Men, another podcast. Hold on. All right, <laughs> we're in an era where you had the religious right, and they everyone thinks they started because of abortion, but started because of segregation. <clears throat> um, we have Trump. We have people saying, hey, you care about morals. How'd you vote him in? We have the evangelical church and it's intertwined with politics. We have all this mess going on in America in the evangelical church. And I trust the Holy Spirit and God that he's got to finish his work no matter what. But in America, I say that context because that's a you know, context I'm in. I'm not in Australia. Asia, I'm not being persecuted in Iran or Turkey. In the American church, are we going to see it getting torn down in this Trump era and built back up where it's more faithful, real Christianity? Or are we going to see the political, cultural, social idolatry and it just continues for a while? Because here's the thing I've seen. What we have offered for many years, this thing of, hey, I'm Republican, oh, and Christian, or I'm an American and Christian. It seems many people have said that's not enough, and they're looking, thriving, like just crying for a real Christianity of something that's going to you know, transcend this world of a real faith where God brings them a kingdom, where you're offering them a story that's better than any other story, and they're desiring that. Is it going to be, is American evangelicalism, is it going to be destroyed and built up into something better? Or do you think from the Trump era, it's going to continue and there's just going to be divide with young and old or Republican, Democrat? Is American Christianity going to change, you know, and grow? Or are we seeing with Trump, it's just going to go further and further into itself? Because I got to be honest, I, I see our Christianity, and this is a tipping point. You saw us in the election with Russell Moore, with how people talk to Russell Moore, yeah. even. Just is this get, doing the job they hired yeah. him to do. Is this going to be a thing where we look at ourselves and go, hey, we can be a more faithful Christianity, or are we got to double down and say, no, Trump was only the beginning, not the end, and you know, and something more beautiful, or is Trump just the beginning of, no, we're going to go deeper and double down and say, no, no, no. This is American Christianity, not just Christianity, American Christianity. What do you think, since Sean, you're a pastor of three churches, go ahead, Sean and Nathan, not me. Um, I'm not on staff. I think in large part, not to jump in in front of Sean, but I think it ultimately resides on what level of our own inconsistencies are we okay with having exposed and fleshed out? Because there are massive inconsistencies. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. Yep inconsistencies from what we say we believe and, and the way in which we conduct ourselves in public life are in a position to be exposed. So do we dig in our heels and get stubborn or we say, you're right, there's an inconsistency here. 
on the on one side of the political spectrum, everybody looks at younger people and say those millennials are a bunch of liberals, whatever. Well, research is actually showing that they are, in fact, more pro-life, which has been from a political talking point and how we've separated people, has been one of the cornerstone, big block, foundational issues, ethical issues, in which we have divided people into category. If they're pro-life or not, okay, they're this or they're that. And it's, generally speaking, it doesn't go much farther. It's kind of a... a It's a building block issue. Well, research is showing that millennials are actually more pro-life than boomers. They're just pro-more life, not the life of the unborn alone. And that might upset some people, but more millennials are looking at generations that come before them saying, you're pro-life of the unborn. You don't care so much for life of immigrants, illegal or otherwise. Refugees, the elderly that you're now becoming... (laughs) Ironically, um, people with special needs, the outliers of culture to Mm -hmm. say we are pro pro those lives and we don't have answers, but we understand that from cradle to grave, we are pro life because image bearers of God are image bearers of God. So are we question, are we got pole vault in this new Christianity where we look and go, okay, instead of just taking, you know, left or right, we're bringing in a new story, new testimony of like, hey, no, no, you know, it's not a question of is God on the Republican and Democrat side. It's a question of are you on their side? You know, is it going to be this new era where we have a more faithful Christianity, Sean, or is it just going to be a deeper, you know, almost like Trump Christianity of no, 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 like we're going to take political power. We're going to, cause you always hear Trump, and I mean this, Sean, you always hear Trump saying, the deep state, all this. Are we going to dive deeper into uh, right or left politics, that premise? Or are we going to say, no, let's have a more faithful, real. And this is my bias showing. I'll admit my bias showing. I'm a, you know, I'm not Republican or Democrat. Are we going to go, Sean, you know, a more faithful Christianity of like, okay, what stays true to Middle Eastern religion we believe in? Or is this something where they're just going to double down? Is it going to be, even if in the next election Trump loses, they're going to dive deeper and say, no, we need to win this culture war. Alex Jones protein shakes on sale, $8.99. Just yell and be overweight and obese and you'll get the <laughs> Alex Jones. I have nothing against overweight people. I'm overweight and Sean is clearly overweight. So well, let's just keep going. I think there's, we have to, we don't even have to rewind that far into world history to see situations where Christians, faithful Christians, God honoring Christians all lost the majority power and the gospel and the kingdom was still advanced. You look at, you look at Bonhoeffer saying, okay, Nazi party rallied behind nationalism and German Christians whose Christian identity was intricately tied to, to Lutheranism to say, if you're a German, you're a Lutheran. Why? Because Luther was a German pure and simple nationalism, church identity being Lutheran was tied at the hip Nazi party rallied behind the German people in their spirit of national nationalism to rally votes, rally power and do what they did. Bonhoeffer stood up and said, Nope, you are wrong. This is sin. You have lost the identity of being a child of the kingdom of God and what that looks like to represent the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Germany or Lutheranism. And he started underground seminaries to train up pastors for the ministry faithfully, hoping and praying that his people the church in Germany would repent and see their idolatry. And we can look back in a very, one of the darkest areas of Western culture 
and say, God was faithful to deliver the citizens of his kingdom and to protect the integrity of that kingdom, even with your minority. Hmm. And to, to me, it's it, irregardless what political power swift sways one way or the other in the next election, this, this, this cabinet, whatever, it doesn't matter. Christians haven't really done well when we're sitting in a majority seat. History has shown we don't handle that well. We weren't exactly meant to be Are a majority. Are we better when majority. we're a, a minority, a prophetic minority versus a moral majority? I think it definitely creates a situation where people can't be a nominal Christian, meaning nominal means Christian in name only, because it's not convenient. There's not obvious social benefit. There's not obvious popularity contest to be won. Then yeah, it's got to put your money where your mouth is, and that's not comfortable. It's not easy, and we certainly need to be a little less trigger happy to play the victim martyr card and say we're being persecuted. We might just be looked to with a little bit less respect, and we might have to evaluate. Well, why not? What did we do to maybe lose some of that? But that's a scary process, and it's humbling, and it'll strip us to our core of some of the things we think and believe, and some inconsistencies that get fleshed out to say we believe this, but it doesn't look like we do. And people see it, and people see that the emperor has no clothes, and they're calling us on it. But that's okay. It's humbling, but it's okay. Yeah, we need our... to adapt. Yeah. And, and I feel like you are 100% right. Christians as a majority in a political state, I don't think have ever operated very well. Not in the history of the United States. Maybe in other places, but I can think of many situations in other countries where it's gone bad. Um, Christians as a minority, politically speaking, have operated quite well because, like you said, it weeds out a lot of the nominal Christians. And good Lord, can you just say, like, the state of the United States claiming evangelicalism is nominal? But I would say that Christianity in the majority as far as a populace goes. Like if the majority of the populace were Christians, even if um, politically they weren't represented well, that is um, almost like the utopia that the post-millennialists like Seth would ascribe to. Like where it's not a political thing, but it's like people don't have to... Um, People don't have to approach politics as the answer for something because their neighbor has presented them with the answer to everything, which is Jesus. Absolutely. And I think Americans, we have a very, very, very shallow and poor view of history. We're young. We are a young group of people. We have very little history looking globally. We And we have a pretty shallow view of our history compared with other people groups hmm. that remember the history of where we've come from quite vividly. And history m means a, a lot. It's a high value. We kind of don't really care. We forget and devalue things that happened 10 years ago, let alone hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Obviously, there's exceptions. You look at the passion which people talk and defend about the Constitution. Obviously, that's an exception. And what I mean is we're, we're looking at a conversation that got messy 1,700 years ago with Constantine. Right. When Constantine came to the scene in 300 AD, that's when nationalism, the church, those lines got really muddy. When he says, hey, I want to unite political power. How do we do that? Let's unite the church. Let's unite political power under the banner of the cross. Church identity and Christian identity with the legalization of Christianity got intermixed with nationalism. 
1700 years ago. Right. And it's been messy ever since. You look at what happened, has happened throughout Europe. You look at issues like the Crusades and a lot of the corruption that happened in the English church for hundreds of years as rulers who were this, the head of the church in England were, were criminals. They were criminals. They're heads of the church and the state. So we look at that and it's like, that's when I can take a step back and go, okay, I can slow my roll a bit and calm down. This is a problem that's not isolated to post 2000. Yeah. It's not isolated to, hey, 2001, 9 11, we saw all this great re- re- quote unquote revival. It's not isolated to, okay, well, that didn't work. People forgot. No, we need to rewind. It's an older problem, it's a bigger problem. It's not as simple as that. Don't play the victim card so fast. We have some deeply rooted issues tied with nationalism and our identity as citizens of the kingdom of God. That's an old problem. Mm. And we've settled for a massive counterfeit. Has anyone here heard of the doctrine of discovery, Nathan? I feel like I'm being baited and nervous (laughs) to answer your question. You're looking at me with that face. Dude, Nothing look, good has ever come from that look. This is only going to cause trouble for people on staff, and we're all equal. <laughs> so, here's something to think about. So, this is brought to you by Dos Equis. I don't always drink, but when I do, I pole vault. So, Doctrine of Discovery. I want to <laughs> say it's 100% uh, Catholic origin, but other people brought up. Here's the thing. Here's where the problem comes in. This is why it's, it has an American context. Here's the Doctrine of Discovery. If you come into a country and they are not white European Christians, they're not real people. So what's the conclusion? You discovered it. So if you come to America and the native people are not Christian white European, you discovered it. Guess why this causes trouble with America? When you come and destroy the native Americans, it's not slaughter. You're discovering a place. Doctrine of Discovery brought by Mark Charles, who is a Native American theologian. He's brought this up over and over again. Here's a, this is another American thing. And you know what the funny thing is? Mark Charles is not asking for money or pity. He's asking for repentance and redemption. And you know what he's gotten? And I want to bring this up. Oh gosh, this kid gets so many emails. Yeah, let's just go. At least you're the one saying it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I have I'll no give it a shot. Tied to this podcast. <laughs> he says, You will answer for this. He says, I want people to repent and just acknowledge that when they came to this country, there were already people here and we destroyed them. <sighs> the response he's given is, Why don't you just get over it? Why don't you just, you know, deal with it? What's the big deal? And here's the response. Oh, gosh. When it's 9 11, we say, Never forget. Never let go. Hunt them to ends of the earth. Mark Charles, a Native American Christian, says, Hey, I just want you to repent for how Native Americans were treated. And we say, get over it. So with their tragedy, we say, get over it. With 9-11, we say, never forget. Don't let go. Kill them at the ends of the earth. Well, and I I think that exposes massive inconsistency because when we're put in the position of when we aren't defend, when we are put in the position of an examined issue, we like to think we're fair and balanced. But as soon as something disagrees with us, we take the position of being a lawyer. Yeah, right. and we explain away and say, "No, Weird. no, 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 that's not. A, you don't understand. They had a bias. That history is biased. That's not the right perspective." 
rather than take the position of humility to rewind a little bit, calm down and say, hey, if this is true, this is so inconsistent with the calling of God for what his people are supposed to do in this world, is there truth in this? Rather than defending somebody, we can look at and say, where are the issues that believers had blinded, blinded sight to cultural sins? What does that look like? Does that look like Puritans and owning slaves? Okay, well, let's talk about that. Does that look like the way that we mm. treated Native Americans? Does that look like current status of Native American ministries that are one of the most left out groups of missionaries actively working in, in wow. our country to minister to people through so much baggage and we put them on an island? Right. Because we say, no, there's no problem. There's no problem. They, there's no problem. And people in that, that God has called to be faithful there, have said, no, there's a big problem. I feel and like... And we go, no, 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 no. That, uh, it's propaganda. It's like, no, let's look at it with humility to say, what are the cultural sins where we haven't operated as good representations of the kingdom of God? And how can we look at that and say, okay, what do we learn from that? Yeah, That's I agree exactly with you. Exactly what I want. That was so much me baiting. That's my bias. so. But you knew you could take me. There. That is so refreshing, considering the major complaint from people who are not believers um, is that uh, the probably the religious right, but at least the response that they have interpreted from Christianity is that. Things don't matter, like stop living in the past, we're in the now, blah, blah, blah. Trust like the America. Old Testament, stop living in the past, get yeah. rid of it, who cares? And, and they say that in tandem, not to cut you off, but they say that in tandem with, oh, well, let's look, learn from the history of Europe and see how <laughs> right. socialism worked. And exactly. It's like, okay, you can't say both of those at the same time and violate the own rules that you're propagating. Exactly. And how much more relational and refreshing would it be to an atheist if they were going to say, hey... I think that Christianity was ridiculous during the Dark Ages, and I can't possibly subscribe to something that would be okay with burning people alive or testing witches by drowning them or whatever it is, or even, you know, uh, being okay with slavery, American slavery or whatever. Um, like, how refreshing would it be to those people to say, you know what, I actually hear what you're saying, and I understand where you're coming from, and those are terrible things that we need to repent for and actually being open to repenting for them as opposed to avoiding them or creating excuses yes, for thank them. You. And I, I think of a conversation I had just recently with somebody in my life where it's a very heated conversation, very um, pretty tense conversation talking about some relational baggage and hurt. And I was stopped dead in my tracks talking with them about an offense they had caused when they looked me in the eye and said, I am genuinely sorry. I had no idea that I have been causing offense. Will you forgive me? Wow. And there was, and this is somebody that closer than close had more opportunity. You know, this isn't somebody I keep at arm's length and I have to interact with everyone's on a Sunday. Somebody very, very, very close to me. I was stopped dead in my tracks. Every amount of lawyer in me and arguer in me could not proceed because I was forced to look at that is the epitome of a genuine apology and ownership, and I cannot continue to argue because they responded in the exact way that I could say that I want to see. Stopped it dead in the tracks. It was like throwing ice cold water on me. And any emotion I felt, any offense I felt, 
and I was left to wrestle with. What do I do with that? Like, yeah. What do I say other than thank you? Was it Sean? Sean said, huh? <laughs> He's such a jerk. He pinched my butt in the driveway, and I've been offended ever since. But did it, but all right, did it, it disarm you? Did you kind of go like, Absolutely. Oh, it was like throwing cold water on me. And it, the conversation, the argument at that moment died. Any kind of rupture that had happened, it instantly went to repair. That's and awesome. To me, that's going to stick with me for a long time. Yeah. And I talk with people that have a different perspective than I do from a level of fair or unfair, see sins in the church, see sins in quote unquote Christians, whatever that might mean. Christians in name only from the evangelical right, mega churches, small churches, people who are generally pursuing Jesus, whatever, full spectrum, regardless of perspective. If that, if we give that response, if we're willing to listen to people and say, to accept the position to go, I'm sorry, I have caught, I'm sorry offense has been caused. I think it's going to change the conversation a little bit, but we're not willing to do that because we want to defend. And generally you combine that with our laziness to explore perspective different than our own and what we've been told we should think. That's not a good combo. Because we're ignorantly defending something that we don't really know that much about, other than the talking points that people have said, if you're part of this party and people group, you should think and do this. Gosh. And that's kind of shallow. <laughs> think. <laughs> um, oh, again. <laughs> it's on fire. <laughs> Are you talking about the tobacco? <laughs> there's something wrong with your pipe. If you keep inhaling flaming tobacco, I think there's a problem. I think you're doing it wrong. I feel rushed, and I'm trying to keep up, and I want to find approval, and you guys are like, oh, care fatty, Seth, because I'm fat. I know I've put on weight. Elephant in the room. I'm the elephant. <laughs> that reminded me of the episode of The Simpsons where Homer grows a crop of tobacco. Oh, yes. And the cow busting through while he goes, mmm, tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I miss the golden age of the it's Simpsons. It's like one of those episodes oh. where I watch and I'm like, did that actually happen? Or did I watch that when I got my wisdom teeth out and I don't remember <laughs> things so good? I remember when I got my wisdom teeth out. I woke up and as immediate, I, this is going to shock you. I was immediately cantankerous and tried to like, get up and try to fight my way out. And my dad's like, you're fine. I was like, I don't like you either. I was trying to push people, but I was so drugged up and i woke up in the middle of it and heard my teeth break and that made me pass out Ugh. yeah you were angry you tried to fight me when you got your wisdom teeth out do you remember did i that? stay at your house you or stayed did at I my break house into your one house? night you stayed at my house and then the next day we were at your parents house and i brought by sean of the dead i have to a watch tale. i said hey seth this guy reminds me of you because he's always saying bad words and inappropriate and you were like, what are you saying? I'm lazy and I don't pay rent. And I was like, no, That's I am not, not saying <laughs> that. But you were like, you know what? If you're going to act like that, you could just leave. And I was like, why? I'm, I was I brought the movie drugs. over. You were so, so here's angry. The thing. Let's talk about fun story. Okay. Right, tell me. So we'll, I, I picked my dad up for the surgery this last week. And he, Bottoms I up. Him up. When he was coming off the anesthesia, I remember feeling so guilty. 
because my dad turns into like this nice, sweet, jolly old man that could dress like Santa Claus when he's on anesthesia. <laughs> Must be. And nice. he's like making everyone laugh, and he's all nice and kind-hearted. And I remember my wife picking me up from getting my wisdom teeth out, and I was just a cocky jerk. <laughs> I, was like, I didn't. Even, I didn't even go. I felt the whole thing. I, yeah, I was. I was awake. <laughs> and the dentist is like, uh huh, yeah, sure you are. And Heather's <laughs> like, we're taking you home. <laughs> All of a sudden, you turn into like a 16-year-old football jock. It's time to take you home. And I'm like, why can't I be nice like my father? <laughs> That's true. Something about the the anesthesia really reverts you to your teenage self, I feel like. I've had that experience as well. So I remember one when I was... When I was a child, our ditch was the desert that is now Spanish Springs High School. And I remember when a friend moved out to, like, the last street in Spanish Springs. And I grew up in Sparks, and my parents complained that it was too far away. Was it East Sparks or West Sparks? Uh, Central. Where's East Sparks? Where's the line? We need Brown Johnny on here. That's not old, racist. He old calls Sparks. Himself. Old Sparks. I guess that would be West Sparks. East probably. Sparks is like... Oh, God. I'll tell you what, the people that don't live in Nevada are going to love this portion. Oh, yeah. Sean stole a gold medal for me at grappling competition. Go ahead, Nate. So, anyways, (laughs) we were hanging out in the desert, and we were like nine, and we were catching lizards, because that's what we did. We went out in the desert, and we played with gunpowder and firecrackers and caught lizards. Blue belly lizards. You know, nothing bad ever happens from playing with gunpowder in the (laughs) desert in Nevada. Nothing. Nothing bad can happen. So we were catching lizards, and... uh, one of my friends and I decided we were going to catch leopard lizards. And we found this truck hood sitting on the ground in the middle of the desert. And he said, all right, so you and your brother, you pick up the hood and I'm going to catch the lizards when you run, when they run out. Because we're like gold mine. We found a hood in the middle of the desert. So yeah. naturally there's like a horde of lizards that are hiding under this truck hood. Of course. So we pick up this truck hood and keep in mind we're like eight and nine years old. And right when we pick it up, my friend yells, rattlesnake. <laughs> And we look down, and right below my hand is the snake that we had just woken up that's, like, right below my fingers. So we oh dropped the hood, decided to run back to his, his mom's house, no. and we get there, and he's like, I ride my bike by there every day. We need to go back and kill the snake so it doesn't attack me. And we're like, this makes perfect Logical. sense. Yeah, I get it. We, we owe humanity this service. <laughs> we are, this is our moment. No. So no, we decided no. to devise a plan, because we didn't want to go out there and be foolish, you know, we were smart nine-year-olds. Of course. So we decided to get his sister's uh, pole vaulting pole. The plan. Sean likes pole vaulting. So we got a pole vaulting pole. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't see that coming. Are you okay, Sean? I thought you liked pole vaulting. Was I inaccurate? Oh no, I'm gosh. not going to let it drop. What? What's going on? <laughs> I don't know why Sean's laughing. Hey, Nathan, I apologize for Sean being rude. Go ahead. Continue with the story. <laughs> so anyways. <laughs> Grow up. You're 34. <laughs> you're supposed to be the good example. So we decided to get the pole vaulting pole, and we had a shovel and a hatchet. So the plan was my job, my one job, was to prop the hood up with the pole. My brother was going to hit the snake on the head with the shovel. and then we we're Which gonna brother? Jonathan, okay. the responsible one. Yes. We convinced him to go out of the house and do something. <laughs> and then Justin was going to chop the snake's head off with a hatchet that was like 
12 inches long. It's this little tiny hatchet. He's like, all right, we have the perfect plan. <laughs> Movies could be made about this. <laughs> My sister came out and yelled at us, like, this is so stupid. You're going to get killed. I'm going to call mom, and she's going to be so mad. So we were out in the desert, and we were just about to kill the snake. The plan was working perfectly, except for pole vaulting poles that are a little flex more flexible than we expected. <laughs> so we're, like, happy to basically, like, like, okay, do we decide to just lift up the hood again? It'll be worth it. The snake might be awake now, but maybe it went back to sleep. <laughs> and I remember because then my parents showed up and we got in a ton of trouble. And my I remember being my parents being so angry and they're like, "You are grounded from a month for a month. Now get in the the car. We need to go to the hospital. Your cousin was born today." So every year on my cousin's birthday, I'm like, "I remember when you were born." <laughs> that snake, ah, the slippery, the of the slippery snake. guy. I'm a snake. Did you ever exact revenge on the snake? Yeah, as soon as my parents left, Justin went back out and killed it by himself. Oh, nice! What a good man. We were successful. But I missed out on the glory. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. I remember trying to explain to my mother. We had a plan. We weren't being irresponsible. This was our plan. And she looked at me like, you you thought this through, and you still decided it was a good idea. (laughs) It actually makes sense. So how flexible is a pole vaulting pole? (laughs) How long is it? <laughs> I need to know. Because... It gets all floppy doppy. <laughs> it it's flexible. Sean, grow up. Good my brother pole vaulted in high school. <laughs> and actually, you know what? If I think about it, I think Sean pole vaulted in high school too. But you were not a team. That's weird. It's just quicker. It's just a quicker It's not one. nearly as weird as homeschool pole vaulting. No joke. My brother pole vaulted in high school and broke his ankle. You know why? They forgot. <laughs> this is going to make it worse. They forgot to move the mat up because it was dark. And he slammed into a pavement and broke his ankle while pole vaulting. That's been How'd a, that happen? That's been a paralyzing fear of mine all the, every time. That you're just slamming. You're just going to... Fl- I know he flopped over the pole. And- <laughs> some people would be surprised to learn that some people hate pole vaulting. <laughs> Some people are actually against pole vaulting. I think with the Olympics Not my Olympics. Up, <laughs> hashtag not my Olympics. Yes. Precisely. Brought to you by South Korea. <laughs> oh, good not lord. North Korea. Sean drove me hostile on kidney stones. And here's the thing. Is this your story? I remember being like eight years old, nine years old, when I met you hanging out in the ghetto by Trainer old? Middle School. And you saying, Dude. you ne- don't drink Mountain Dew, you don't want a kidney stone, I've been stabbed and kidney stones are worse. And I remember thinking, this man <laughs> is terrifying, I'm nine. Wait, wait, you're only six years younger than me, right? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, so we you were... You met me when I was 15? Probably there about. You sure you weren't? What time did you start getting out of the punk scene? I had kidney stones at 17 and 18. You probably were about 17. So then, so I might have lied, and I might have been eleven. No, you're not. Look, Sean's the one lying because I know what this reference is really to. So here's the thing. So we're at our house where we live with six people because that's not a squatter house. Can I add a little context? No, because you are sorry that you hate it. (laughs) Go on. I am the one who's had twenty roommates at one time, so squatter house with six people doesn't sound so bad. Twenty? Why? And like they're pooping everywhere. They got undies. Yes, and like eight of them at one time were named John. (laughs) Do you know how confusing it is when you have eight people in your house named John? I believe that we we were like convincing people their names are like totally different names than they were. 
Like, oh, no, you're not, you don't look like a John. You look like a Gary. Trust me, your name is Gary. <laughs> Seth and I lived in this house in Sparks, and there was at least... I'm bored with the story. I don't care anymore. There's at least 15 guys there, but only like six I of rough. us, I think, were paying rent, including <laughs> Judah Holland. Irresponsible. And I just want to say, we had somebody who lived with us, or I don't know if they lived with us, but they were always at our house, and they worked at Scolari's. Uh, so... We had a friend, he would basically like only ring up two things in a full shopping cart. So the house pooled together for food. We took this food budget and we went to Costco and we bought a pallet of Simply Soda that we had to have a forklift load into the back of my truck. And then we took the pallet home and Seth drank half the pallet in a month. All right, so Seth drank half the pallet, allegedly, not convicted. Seth drank half a pallet of Simply Soda in about... 20 days. That's true. It's all true. And in addition to that, and wound up with the kidneys. All we ate was cheese and ramen and simply soda. <laughs> and so that is the the state of being as and the punchline story happens. Diabetes. <laughs> yeah. So Seth, tell us what happened after you drank a half a pallet of soda. So here's the thing. I would come home from work tired cuz I was the only one paying rent. And I'd come into our dark room, and Sean's sitting there smoking a single cigarette in the dark. He's like, you got my money. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And he'd scream at me, you know, burn me with cigarettes, but I'd work. The next day I wake up. (laughs) No, daddy, no! (laughs) The next day I wake up, I have a pain in my lower back. And I think, maybe my back's just hurting, because it was terrible. So I'm like, I'll get a hot bath. I'll like stretch all stuff. Cause I was like, I can do, what, what are we singing? This one? You want mm-hmm. this one? Mm-hmm. What's this one? There's so a lot I, of editing for me to do. Well, cause I've never had to worry I'm about sorry, anything. I'm sorry, I have a bad influence. No, like I had such a fast metabolism. I was like, I don't need exercise. I don't need to do anything. I'm fine. And my back is killing me. And I'm like, why isn't this going away? It hurts so bad. So I finally, I'm like stumbling out and I go, Sean, can you take me to hospital? So Sean, you know, does his normal thing. He burns me with a cigarette. (laughs) That's fine. So he drives me to, uh, let's come up with a fake one. It's like Northern Nevada Medical Center or something. And we get in there. And this is what the first things the doctor says. It's basically not a real hospital. No. (laughs) No. It was called Wacky Jacky Hustle. The doctor says, hey, bad news. You have uh, kidney stones. And I say, what's the good news? He says, well, women compare the pain to childbirth. And I said, what's the good news? And no joke, the doctor says, I didn't say there was good news. Stop saying that. <laughs> yeah. So he says. That would be $200. He, he says, I'm going to give you morphine and we're going to try and you know, figure it out. He gives me morphine and he said I would pass out. Now, Seth has a high tolerance. I'm talking in third person. Seth has a high tolerance for drugs. 20 minutes in, I start feeling it again, even with morphine. And he's walking up. So I get out of my bed, go into a bathroom and hold the door. And I'm trying to hide from him. Because he said, if you don't go to a bathroom, I'm saying it in a nicer way than he did. We're going to force a sample. So I go in the bathroom, I'm holding my foot against the door, and he knocks, he goes, hey, how's everything going? I was like, fine. He goes, do you have a sample? Well, no. He goes, okay, well, we might need to do like a cath. He said some weird thing like, we'll get it. 
I take my heel and dig it under the wood of the door. Like, if you come in, I will hit you. He goes, Mr. Wildshoot, this is procedure. We need to take care of you. Now, here's the good news. I went unconscious and fell on the floor. (laughs) So they opened the door and take me out. Eventually, I actually was able to give him a sample. I had kidney stones, and the doctor comes in and goes, good. We can confirm their kidney stones. We got a sample. I'm awesome. He goes, here's other news. And he says, it's not good, so stop saying that. I said, okay. <laughs> he says, we can't break them up because of where they are. So someone has to take you home. So my mom comes and gives her passive-aggressive smile and drives me home. Um, I li- I stay with them a few days. There was one night with kidney stones I was walking up because of the pain. I passed out and fell down the stairs. And a fun fact for trivia, I actually asked God to kill me one of those days. (laughs) Here's the thing. I've been hit with bats, shot at, and stabbed. Kidney stones is the worst. I remember the day you passed it. Because I told, and I've told my son this now. My son said, because you know you talk to kids about kidney stones. Uh, He said, how do you pass them? I said, well... Son, you pee rocks out your pee hole. And Maverick looked at me like shocked. He goes, doesn't that hurt? I go, it feels like you've been cursed. And he says, well, wouldn't you rather die? And my son said this. I said, (laughs) yeah, I would, man. And I looked over to explain it to him. He was already playing with these toys. They're called shopamoles or whatever. They're like little cakes and stuff that look like they live at the store. I said, Maverick, I said it would. He goes, Hi, Daddy, and didn't even acknowledge that we just had a conversation and walks on. <laughs> and I sat there in the darkness remembering that Sean took me to hospital with kidney stones I had from working a job. He demanded I work so that I could pay rent because Sean refused to chip in. Can I ask Nathan the last question? Because we need to end this. So, because I have to go do a shift in my blue collar job, which Abraham Kuyper would affirm. Um, Nathan, so here's the thing. You know that Ryan Smith has adamantly, in the papers, accused you, attacked you, said, hey, Nathan Hartley's wrong about Trump. Um, the dragon is coming. He's, he's, mo- you guys debated at, uh, is it Ligonier? How do you say? Ligonier. Ligonier. Um, you guys debated at Desiring God, which you stomped him because he's clearly a, you know, just ridiculous man. Uh, we would never have him on this podcast. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. With all that's going on, as a leader, and I mean this seriously, as a leader, are you still okay with calling yourself, with all that's happened in the past year, all the debate, do you still call yourself an evangelical? And I've been asking a lot of people this. I hate this question. Here we go. You have the same haircut as me. Boo, Yakasha, Seth and wins. Pole vault. I, <laughs> um, any, I think any right now kind of in a timely response where we're at as of, you know, right now, February 2018, it's kind of timely because even just a matter of weeks ago, Tim Keller wrote a phenomenal perspective on the history of evangelicalism that I think was in the New Yorker, if I remember correctly. Yes, I read it. And explaining the history of the term, what it has meant theologically, and what it has meant politically, and those differences. Theologically, to the core, from a theological perspective, you take politics, social matter, politics meaning the public life of a Christian. 
You take the public life of a Christian out of the picture. Theologically, I am absolutely evangelical, and I will I will fly that flag. Theologically, I'm an evangelical. I believe in the divinity of Jesus. I believe in the virgin birth. I, I believe in the infallibility of scripture. I believe in the evangelical core tenets of Christian theology. So would you say those who are referring to them... Oh, I'm sorry. Would you say those who the news, specifically Fox News, is referring to evangelicals are a false version of what you would consider evangelical church or Tim Keller would. What I, uh, what I think is, is dicey is the history of that term. And what happened is politically speaking, an entire voter block was isolated over ethical issues that from a theological perspective, Christians upheld things like the, the Imago Dei, the image of God and human beings. And we would look at and say for an issue, pot button topic, the unborn pro-life and say, uh, we are for, we are for the lives and the sanctity of life of the unborn. That is a marker. That is a foundation point. So politically, people that were nominally Christian in some form or another, to some level of sincerity or another, not to attack anybody, but some level of sincerity, isolated a voting block and said, we can control them over these ethical issues. Wow. So evangelicalism got pretty muddy and it got pretty confused and more and more and more and more detached from evangelical theology. Wow. So the public life of evangelicalism, as we've seen it, as we're seeing it now, where it's spiraled over 40 years, more and more people that are quote unquote evangelicals look less and less and less and less like Christians theologically, but we say, no, they're evangelicals. Well, by definition, no, they're not. They're, they're appealing to voting principles based off those foundations, but they're not an evangelical. And we're inconsistent because we say, well, so-and-so was a, so-and-so led this person to Jesus. We're like, okay, well, in the last conversation, you said that person's a prosperity gospel televangelist and you have, they have no credibility, but now they have credibility to lead somebody with authenticity to Jesus. And you believe it a hundred percent when you have accounts of people like sitting presidents who remain nameless in their biographies talking about how they would laugh as the door closed, as people like Billy Graham walked out of the office, laughed, saying, we have them right where we want them. We have their vote. Yeah. And we, t- we take people on sincerity when it comes to them weighing in on what their religious perspective is. Do we really believe that they're sincere? Especially when there's inconsistencies that we're willing to overlook to say their public life does not line up with a holy lifestyle. But we're inconsistent to say what the last, when somebody from the opposing party is sitting in office, or we'll say, oh, well, they're, they're not a Christian, but somebody from our party, and we say, well, they're just growing. That's kind of inconsistent. I don't care what side of the seat you're on and who's in power. That's an inconsistency. As Christians, we should say, where's the inconsistency? And are we being duped? Yeah. Are, are our votes being controlled? <laughs> and I don't care who's in, I don't care. The, Last president, this president doesn't matter. How are we standing separate from a party as citizens of the kingdom of God, pointing to a king, not a fa- not a counterfeit kingdom? Okay, Sean, we- are you evangelical? No, that was so easy. I, I've <laughs> but, been throwing. Hey, for the but, loud noises, I was throwing knives at the wall. I apologize. Nathan had a good point. I was just he was actually by. throwing knives at me. I have yeah, to. I have time. to completely agree with Nathan, and also 
spend at least a week processing what Nathan said about the definition of evangelical. But we have to end this because my wife is watching the kids and she's probably losing her mind right now and she's so frustrated. Seth is throwing knives into the door again. Two for two. Two for two. Uh, so we have to end it with this. Nathan, one word answer. Cake or pie. Yeah. You can say gluten free too. <laughs> yeah. I really was about to. That, that, that definitely be, uh, cheesecake. Ah! <laughs> wow. okay. Just to make everybody <laughs> mad. That being said, we've established that cheesecake is more of a pie. Even though it well, has cake in the yes. name. Unless it's apple pie. I'm sorry. If anybody thought I was a liberal, now that's the tipping point. I don't <laughs> like apple pie. Really? I, I don't. I like cherry pie. Or I actually, pie. I like communist. Like How dare pie. you? Do you like really cherry like pie? pie? Yeah. Dude, I don't like apple pie. I, I'm I, sorry. I, I have to tell you. To be even more it's not the best because I have the MO of being the pretentious hipster, I prefer cobbler. I agree with you, and apple pie is not the best pie. Because there are layers of pies. Can I? Hold on, Sean. I have to bring this up. Fast. All right. We had two knives in the studio. I just tossed them at the door. both of them wound up in a door. (laughs) I threw both of them, and they both landed in the door. Boom. And he tried to throw me into the door. Okay. This was Tales from the Ditch. Please email us at talesfromtheditch at gmail.com. And please visit our website at talesfromtheditch.download. Happy Tuesday, everybody. <laughs> Tales from the Ditch! Did I really say Nathan Holland? It's okay. Play that again. He'd only need half a headset. <laughs> <laughs>